Hello, and welcome to Fast Talk, your source for the science of sport. <laughs> sport. Sport. Sport, damn it. Sport. Your source for the... I love that Rob was surely of... that I asked him to do the first line, so he was giving me the daggers of death look while he's trying to remember the intro line. Sport. Hello, and welcome to Fast Talk. Let's leave it there, because none of us can remember the line. <laughs> Not my job. So today we are doing a favorites workout episode because we haven't done one in a while. Your source for the science of endurance sports performance. We've moved on, Rob. Ah, damn it. <laughs> it was we good. moved on. It was good. <laughs> but well done. In our newest release of Craft of Coaching with Joe Friel, we explore the art and science of coaching Masters athletes. Thanks to Joe Friel and many other coaches, there are more Masters athletes than ever before, and they're taking on challenges once thought out of reach. Check out the Craft of Coaching Module 11, Coaching Masters Athletes, for guides to help Masters athletes stay fast for years to come. Check out the Craft of Coaching at FastTalkLabs.com. So we are in the middle of the race season, so we thought it would be good to pick some favorite workouts that are in season, get you ready for racing type workouts. And as we were putting this together, there were a couple interesting themes that popped up. One was kind of this compare and contrasting a really old school, but still relevant and, and a real go-to workout, which is that five by five VO2 max workouts. It's such a popular one. We've actually got two coaches talking about it, but that's kind of, you go back to the seventies, eighties, that was the workout to do. Now it seems there, there's a newer approach, which is these much shorter, higher intensity, 30 thirties or 40 twenties, or, you know, a bunch of different variation type workouts. And we have a bunch of those that seems to be kind of the popular way to do things now. So throwing this to both of you, what do you think? Do these both work? Have we modernized the need to move away from the old school? What do you think? Well, first off, I'm happy that you're referring to the 70s and 80s as old school because <laughs> that was before my time. Yeah, and, and I think that I'm decidedly within the new school category but I do think that there's multiple ways to skin a cat. You're looking at oxygen consumption, and I think that that 5x5 five five VO2, as we've talked about with some of the Ronstad studies, great way to get a lot of oxygen in, into your body, produce a lot of power. But at the same time, the new school that you're talking about, Trevor, with really this variable intensity, I think that maybe from a physiological standpoint, if we talk about just increasing physiological metrics, maybe that's not the best. But when it comes to simulating what's happening out on the road, that might be a little bit more sport-specific there. I'm the type of person that I wouldn't say one over the other is is the best. I think you got to pick your poison based on what you need and what your event needs. So I think that's a really good point is coming off of what you need and what your event needs. I think one of the things that the, if we call it this, the old school approach always conjures up this mentality of, you know, East Germans and Eastern Bloc countries, just get it done. And I think there's a degree of that, but I also think that for a lot of us and a lot of athletes, that's hard to do from a mental standpoint. It's only so many times you can go out and knock that out of the park. And if you find that day, yeah, go for it. Have it. Have at it. But there's a lot of days that maybe you're not going to have five minutes in that place because that's a cave, man, right? You're in there deep mm. and you got to be really mentally prepared for that. So some of these 
on-offs, higher-intensity, lower-intensity pieces of the puzzle allow you to get time under load, but not in that same dark, dark, dark place. And, and not with the stress, right? right? At a time right. that you ultimately want to be peaked and hitting best performances, you may not want to carry the fatigue that comes from the longer, hard, intense effort. That That's pretty hard on the body. Yep. I have not contributed at all because I'm still stuck in 70s being old school. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were born in the 70s. We weren't training in the 70s. I was not so, born in the 70s. I was talking about me and Trevor. I know you. I can hey, look at the I know, shine on I know your face. You, I know you too, Greg. The, the worst <laughs> dig I ever got, I was visiting my old college. And a friend of mine who I knew in college, but he was younger than me, he was getting made fun of by a bunch of these current students because they were watching Star Wars and he admitted to them he was born in 77. So they're making fun of him for this. I walk into the room as they're doing this and he just goes, uh-uh, points at me and goes, he remembers the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but speaking of Star Wars, we were watching Star Wars at my house the other day and my wife turned to me and went, wait, you saw Empire in the theater? It's like, yeah. I saw Star Wars in the theater. I was, I would have, but I think I was a little young. I feel like that that's a pretty intense movie for a, how old were you, like six? Yeah. Woo. Different time. That's what we're talking about. So another interesting trend that I just want to point out with these workouts is I noticed the number of people when they were given these newer, modern, shorter, higher intensity intervals, they like to do kind of six, seven, eight minutes of the really high intensity but then often follow it up with a steady threshold. And the whole idea being, this is what you do in races. You attack, you respond to attacks, and then it's going to slow down a bit, but you still have to be able to go a pretty, pretty good pace. Yeah. And I think Rob mentioned this earlier. Yeah. For me, it's, there's a big mental component here as well. Grant, as you pointed out earlier, the more intermittent, uh, short, high intensity efforts physically, are a little bit easier and mentally they're a little bit easier, but sometimes that's not what I want in the race season. Sometimes what I want to tune up is my ability to just hold on because let's be honest, we've all been in that group and all you're doing is holding, <laughs> holding on. on. And yeah. so it's a way, in my opinion, to add that mental component where you have to get comfortable sitting in the burn. And what I often say is the first minute or two of that steady is the hardest yep. and you just have to get through that minute three minute four minute five they get easier and easier and actually i i begin and i and i think other athletes as well begin to look at that longer steady even though it's oftentimes just around threshold maybe just under threshold it almost feels like recovery yep. and when it when when you're going ftp and it feels like recovery that's a good place to be in. Yeah, and, and this this comes into one of Neil Henderson's favorite workouts is Batman. So it's that idea of go hard, settle in at threshold. And I always remember settling in at threshold and for the first minute saying to myself, I can't do this. No can't, way I can I can't do this. For four, I can't settle in for this for four minutes. And then somewhere around minute two, it would dawn on me that I was really pretty comfortable. Yep. I can, oh, I can do this. And that's that learning phase that you're talking about that really can do wonderful things when you're racing. Exactly. What I always find really interesting when I do those really high intensity intervals and then followed up with five, six minutes of threshold. And it was Neil who taught me to do this. Mm -hmm. I remember coming out of the base season where I was doing threshold intervals. And let's say I was doing my thresholds at like 330, 340 watts. You know, it just felt really hard. Mm -hmm. But then I would do one of Neil's workouts <laughs> 
And then followed up with five, six minutes at 330, 340 watts. I'm like, ooh, this is a recovery. Man, I got this. Yeah, yeah, it changes your perspective pretty dramatically. And I think that's one of the reasons you see a lot of this variance in the efforts. So why don't we start with these, you know, I I hate to call them this because I actually really like these workouts, but the old school five by fives. Hey man, you're old school. It's embrace the old school, Trevor. You wear it well. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's not still wonderful. That's what I tell my wife all the time. Olden, golden. Breeze and I are like the same age, right? She's 41. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember the cycling team I was riding with up in Canada. I was definitely the oldest guy on the team at, at, what was I, 37, 38 at the time. And when we'd play music, if the music was more than a year old, it was old school. And why were you playing old school stuff? It drove me nuts. I brought in Led Zeppelin into the car one day. They just didn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. All right, so let's start with Alec Donahue. Rob, any thoughts on this? Yeah, well, Alec is a coach that's been on the show before. And if you don't know Alec, out of Massachusetts, and a a big name in the cyclocross world. And that might give some insight into his workout, I'm not sure. But this 5 by 5 workout that he's talking about, it's a standard type of workout. But he does it, in my opinion, a little bit differently. And that has to do with the intensity and the rest period. So let's give a listen to Alec and we'll be back soon. It's a five by five. That's about 8% over threshold is that is my go-to favorite workout for sure. I usually go for about eight minutes of recovery at solid zone two. So it's like, I want to load the system with lactate and then I want to work on combusting it at a, uh, you know, at the lack of pyruvate peak, ideally. So it's like, you know, you don't just like stop pedaling when you're done. It's like you load up the legs to like an appropriate level where you're not like, I think the other big thing about everything I believe is I don't believe in workouts to failure. That is my like non-negotiable is that like, I see people just go backwards so fast in these workouts to failure. Uh, Agree completely. So it's a five-minute effort, then an eight-minute recovery, and then a five-minute effort. Is, is Am I hearing that correct? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And then is does it matter on trainer outside, hill, flat? It does. And that's, you know, so like, you know, you know, where like essentially you have to have your like your trainer zone, your flat zone, and your hill. Like in the hill, I never like doing over probably 3%. The hill is like just makes it emotionally easier for riders to complete. In most racing scenarios, a flat would be better because we get better leg speed out of that. And so it programs for more responsive riders where hills are good and we can get good numbers, but many riders that don't have very good responsiveness and change of pace, they further their deficits by always training on hills. Okay. No, that's, that's a good point. What do you feel that this workout is training? What what would you use this for? Well, that's where it's like, you know, what's the, it's only 8% above threshold. So like, is that VO2, is that, you know, VO2 or MAP, or is it actually still just threshold? It's so it's like, you know, classically, I would call that like this, is a VO2 building workout. And so it's what tends to push up people's, you know, five minutes. It's like, why I like it is there is a, significant amount of you know glycolytic activity in it but it's not to the point where old old vo2 when we're doing like 15 to 20 percent over we go so hard that your glycolytic capacity actually gets worse 
which I didn't fully understand until I started, you know, seeing things from inside. I'm like, I think that's like, that's where zone five gets so slippery and overdoing zone five is one of the worst aspects of training. And so this is one where I really need the athlete to know themselves. And there's a lot of conversation on what this should feel like, where you're, you know, reaching that kind of stable level that when you ride for eight minutes at zone two, you come back and you're like, you can do it again. It's very challenging, but like, this is where like that kind of like the balance point in races where you know how hard you can go and recover. And like, there's so much that like self-awareness to power duration that comes out of this level. And I think you do get big bumps in glycolytic activity. Whereas that like very hard five minutes, I see people lose all their capacity for variable power. And so that's kind of where it's like, it's an educational tool and a very good physiological tool as well, because you're using the switch and using glycolytic at a high rate, but not at a rate that actually diminishes their capacity going forward. What time of year would you do this? How frequently and how long would you do these intervals for? I came away from like, you know, just like classic periodization a long time ago. And so using some lactate production is like this specific workout I would use in the month or so, probably six to eight weeks leading up to a competitive season. I really like this. It's it's not really a great in-season effort for me. It's kind of like building up that every aspect of like good VLA, good combustion, good buffering. It's like a good like balance for all of those things. And so that's kind of like that six to eight weeks before your competitive season starts. This is where I really like that. But I will use like probably, you know, like three to four minute efforts similar to this peppered through even aerobic builds because I don't like leaving this lactate production side of things untouched. And that's something that I, I didn't quite understand 20 years ago. And we, we were just like, we would do base, you know, it'd just be homogenous zone too. And so I just see a lot better response when I mix a little bit of like, you know, tickling lactate in there. So the next one, also a five by five, this is talking with Stephen Hyde. So Grant, what are your thoughts about this? Well, I think Stephen worked with Alec for a long time. I think you're going to see the similarities and and why they both do them, but what you're going to see a little bit in the, the nuance and the difference here is how an individual athlete may learn to use these differently, right? You know, and Stephen talks a lot about learning yourself through this workout. You know, we talked earlier about kind of this old school method of sitting there. It's really hard to do. It takes a big mental component, but there's also other pieces of the puzzle that come into that. And Stephen talks about a lot of those in his version of the five by five. Right. Let's hear it now. When I try to punish all of my athletes with workouts and I try to give as much pleasure to myself with my workouts. So it's such a different <laughs> world. <laughs> so you're saying there's a little bit of hypocrisy. Yeah. Uh, fully oh, like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was hard. Oh wow. Well you should see what I do. In reality, I'm like, I just had that. No. <laughs> so I actually kind of have a foundational workout that is pretty no frills that I have used for years and years and years. I, I really feel like it's a cornerstone workout for me. I can use it just about any time of the season or of the year, and it seems to be pretty applicable. And it's a standard five by five 
back or via to workout have never done very much, you know, quote, threshold work. I have always pushed higher intensity. I've always pushed, you know, maximum aerobic power, looking at like 115, around like 110 to 115% above threshold. And it's a very difficult workout because it's hard, but it's also a very good workout to recreate. It can be done indoors or outdoors. It gives the athlete an opportunity to play with their approach and see more different results from it because you're not throwing a lot of variables at it. So whether you eat between, eat more before, you know, whether you drink more, whether you do it on a hill or flat, you play with RPMs, whether music or whatever kind of can be involved in that. I think it hits a lot of different energy systems across the board. It tends to be pretty stable in terms of what it does to VLA max for most athletes. If done correctly, it doesn't burn out a lot of fast twitch fibers. In fact, it, it kind of has the opposite effect on that. And it, it pushes you. I think it has a, has a really good, deep ability to push someone's mental strength in terms of like finishing five, five minute over, or, you know, over threshold efforts. And so what is your protocol? So obviously the efforts, five minutes, you said about 110-ish percent of threshold. Yeah. What's your recovery length and any, any other details of the workout you'd like to share? So it depends. I actually can kind of vary the, the recovery periods between. I like to ensure that there's a, about a minimum of five minutes between. Early season, I'll tend to push it out to like five to eight minutes, and I'll try to get an athlete or myself to be in that middle to lower zone two to ensure that lactate consumption is maximized. As we get closer to the season, shortening that can, or in the season, shortening it down to like three to five minutes, anywhere in that range is pretty acceptable. I do try to keep athletes legs moving between, you know, just, just cutting it off and just letting all that kind of lactate sit and, and not be utilized is a missed opportunity. So now that we've heard about 5 by 5 from both Alec and Stephen, I think that there is something really important to point out that I alluded to earlier, and that is Al, he holds back a little bit in terms of the intensity. I don't think 108%, especially with an 8-minute, if I remember right, an 8-minute recovery, that's a very different philosophy than Stephen, who's go out and crush yourself. Right, right. And I think it's funny. We we talked about this at the beginning before we came on air. You can't really do five by fives at altitude, right? We struggle to do those up here, yeah, not, but not well anyway. Not right. Maybe not five of them. <laughs> Get but, one done. <laughs> but but with Al's version of that, at one hundred and eight percent, you probably could do that up at altitude. That's more of like a supra LT if you want to look at it that way. And that's a different mentality. That's a get comfortable in this pretty uncomfortable place. Steven is looking at it going, get comfortable in a really dark place. And so they 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 do different things at different times. I also thought what was interesting is how they use them, right? Al is using them six to eight weeks before competition. Steven's talking about using them all year round and really kind of a go-to benchmark, where am I at type of workout. So coming out of that, let's shift gears a little bit. We had uh, two coaches talking about these longer, steadier VO2 efforts. The next one is Dr. Chung, a favorite of Fast Talk, 
who is bringing up a workout that's another favorite of Fast Talk from uh, researcher Dr. Bent Ronstad. And in this one, Dr. Chung is talking about Ronstad's 30 seconds on, 15 seconds off. Let's give it a listen. My favorite workout is um, the good old one from Bent Ronstad that he uses in his studies looking at short, high-intensity interval training. And they're intensely hard. One set is... 13 reps of 30 seconds all out with 15 seconds, not actually a full recovery of you're still riding at a moderate pace. And so you're doing 13 of those. And so it's about a nine and a half minute, 10 minute workout. And those are just intensely hard. And I really enjoy doing them because you get a satisfying hard workout. And it's also a good test of durability long term because Oftentimes, I know certainly in the Ronestad studies, they do three sets of those with five to 10 minute recovery in between. And I really like to see whether I can sustain the same kind of power output in the second one and the third one. So not only is it a hard workout by itself, but also gives me some sense of my durability, whether I can still push hard and at the same level in the third set. So that's probably my favorite workout. And it's also relatively short. It takes just a bit over an hour to do out on the road on an indoor ride. I can do it in under an hour. So it's a good quality bang for the buck workout, I think. And it gives you that satisfying. I've really worked hard at the end too. So it's great on many levels. Dr. Chung, for clarification, can I ask when you said all out, are you hitting higher numbers on the first rep than you are on the last rep? like say a thousand watts on the first and then by the end you're fatigued and you're only hitting 300 or are you trying to hit something that's quite hard each time like 600 every single rep i'm trying to pace it so that i can complete all 13 reps of a set and so yeah it's not going to be a thousand watts right out of the gun on the uh, first one and then just barely crawl home on the last one i'm trying to keep it pretty steady for the first one or kind of throughout all 13 reps. And then I don't really pace for kind of three sets. I pace for one set and you know I try to see whether I can do as much or the same amount of work and hit the same power levels in the second and third set. And that usually tells me again, whether I'm really kind of recovered, whether I'm really highly fit and whether I have that long-term durability, whether I can go back to back to back, so to speak. What do you think are the benefits of this workout? I think we've talked a lot on various episodes about high-intensity interval training, and I think it is a really, really good workout in that realm of high-intensity intervals. I think it also really benefits crit riders i think it benefits cross riders because you're constantly going way above threshold and then just have that little bit of recovery going way above again over and over again so i think it really is a great race simulation during the season and i think during the kind of the winter months when you're on the trainer it's one of those short hard workouts that you can get you know if you're following a polarized intensity or polarized training plan and you want to get a couple of hard efforts in i think it it fits within that too and again i say it's it's hard it gives you that satisfying i've done a hard workout but 
it is something, you know, that's not going to kill you for the next day. So you can still incorporate it into your plan as a good quality dose of training without really kind of slamming yourself at the end. And is it something you would do all year round or is there a particular time of year? I like to do them all year round just because I tend to be a very on-off kind of rider. I am not a steady state rider, so it kind of fits into my wheelhouse. And yeah, so I do them on the trainer in the wintertime. And I also do them on the outdoors during the summer because I have wide open roads and quite uh, long stretches of road where I can do these efforts and not have to worry about traffic. And I also use them as my overload training when I do, and again, this follows the Bent Ronestad studies looking at block periodization, where instead of having two hard workouts a week for four weeks, he front loads them with five hard workouts in, uh, in one week and then one hard workout a week in the following three weeks. So I also use them for that in the wintertime when I really want to start building my fitness. And uh, because again, I can do them, you know, really, I know historically I can do them kind of five times in a week and not be thrashed by the fourth or fifth one. They are hard, but they're not, again, so crazy hard that I just can't, you know, ride again the next day. So we just heard Dr. Chung talk about these short, high intensity intervals. And our next clip includes both Alex Howes and Keel Reinen. And they are discussing, I guess, both ends of this spectrum where uh, Alex and, and Keel as well are fans of that short, high intensity effort. But, uh, you know, Keel has to take his second choice, which is a little bit more of a threshold variable intensity. Let's listen to uh, two pros talk about their favorite workouts. My favorite workout on the bike is probably 4020s. It's also true that we, we tend to gravitate to what we're good at because then we feel like we've done a nice workout and we've gotten gains and we haven't suffered too much. So I actually try to limit the amount of times I, I do that particular workout, but it's well suited to, to my physiology. And, and, I, and I think it's also a lot of bang for your buck. You're getting the load without sort of overtaxing the muscular system and those VO2 workouts, especially when you're limited on time, which I, I definitely as a parent am, can be a really effective way to gain fitness without having to ride for hours on end. So what do you feel are the particular benefits of the 4020s? You're sustaining, you know, maybe a, I generally do a 10 minute effort, three or four sets, and you're you're sustaining sort of a VO2 level heart rate for the duration of that, that interval without averaging a VO2 level power. And so for the 40 seconds on, you know, I'm, I'm putting out around 450 watts at sort of, you know, VO2 level. And then for 20 seconds, I'm, I'm backing way off and, and riding somewhere between 100 and 200 watts and repeating that, that process over and over again. And at the end of the 10 minutes, I feel cardiovascularly like I've completed a, a, a 10 minute long VO2, uh, but muscularly, I'm, I'm able to recover and do another set. And when would you do this workout? Is this something you do all year long or is there a particular time of the season? Yeah, generally 5.30 a.m. on the trainer before the kids are up. Be, uh, be <laughs> the moment. <laughs> uh, I think generally speaking, that's a workout that I would reserve for when I'm getting closer to a race event, maybe a couple of weeks, three weeks out. However, this year, given the time constraints that I have and the sort of new calendar, I, I decided to take a different approach. And 
I sort of reverse periodized my, my training. And so I was actually performing sort of VO2 type efforts out of the gate when I, I got training this winter. And that's something I haven't done in the past. I'll let you know if it works out. But again, it's, it's such an effective workout for maintaining or gaining some fitness when you don't have the time to do those long base rides. It's certainly not a replacement for a good base, but one of the advantages to having done this as a career for a really long time is that we have a lot of that base in us. And, and so we may not require the sort of standard six to eight weeks of, of base miles that someone else who's, who's only been doing it for a short period of time would. When do you do the endurance part now in the reverse periodization? Yeah, that would uh, be now. That, that would be now. <laughs> so you just. <laughs> I, I reverse periodized and then skipped the last two steps. <laughs> okay. Strictly oh, yeah. trained by VO2. Yeah. I'm going to write a book about it later after it's wildly successful. There you uh, go. It's basically, you know, those commercials for like the, you know, the 10 minute abs. And then it got down to, you know, the like six minute abs, two minute abs, 30 second abs. That's the version I'm going for. 30 second abs. You're under the genetic abs. Right. <laughs> Do you remember the movie Something About Mary? Yeah. With the, the psycho killer at the eight minute ab video. And he asked him, so why not seven minute abs? And the guy's like, that's crazy. Why would you do that? You can't get a good workout in seven minutes. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. <laughs> like I can see now I'm going to put together an 80s VHF. <laughs> Gravel fitness, seven minutes. Well, you stole my answer, Keel. Damn it. <laughs> Alex, now your favorite workout's been stolen. Do you have another one you can give us? Yeah, I mean, like Keel said, the, the number one go-to as far as, you know, like the Tabata style workouts really do train just about everything. So, all right, let's think of a little bit of a variation on that. One thing I think is really productive, uh, and I, I don't know if I want to say it's my favorite workout because it, it definitely hurts, but sort of tempo threshold level power with spikes sort of sprinkled in there. That's something I, I, I tend towards pretty frequently. So like a 15 minute effort, and you're sort of oscillating above threshold and tempo. So it's actually above threshold. It's like slightly below VO2-ish. I don't know. It's a kind of super threshold. So you do like, what, like a minute and a half at uh, just above threshold and then scale it back for probably maybe a minute down to tempo, um, high tempo, and then back up above, above threshold there a little bit and repeat that for probably 15 minutes. That's a tough workout. So what are the benefits, do you feel, of that workout? So for me, when I'm talking above threshold power up here at pretty high altitude, I need to sort of touch on that, that higher power because it's, I basically end up doing that, that super threshold at sea level threshold. So like, let's say my threshold here at uh, 8,500 feet is like 330, right? When I'm going above that minute and a half, I'm going to do it at 350 because that's pretty close to sea level power for me. And then bringing it back down just enough to recover and kind of get my head back above water and uh, prevent having an aneurysm. And then as soon as I you know, feel like I can sort of breathe again, I, I'll, I'll scale it back up. Great. And when do you do this? Is this something you do all year round or? This is definitely more in race season. As you say, it's, it's a very hard workout. It's 
challenging on on multiple levels to sort of work out that you get done and you don't want to look at the bike for the rest of the day for sure and the next morning probably hurts as well so i i, I reserve it mostly for for race season you know in the the couple of weeks leading up to a race i'll probably try and do two to three sessions is this something you're doing out on the road or are you doing it more in a controlled environment like the trainer these ones i i need to do out on the road um i wish wish i could do threshold power on the trainer, but for whatever reason, I, I can't, I can do everything else, but not that. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's an emotional thing. And when you do this workout, you're doing one set or do you attempt to, to get in a couple? I usually try and do three sets. So that's, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of time I am still professional. I wouldn't recommend, you know, three sets of 15 for everybody, but scaling it back to something like three by eight potentially would be productive. For both beginners and veterans, polarized training is the best way to get and stay fast year after year. And this is the perfect time of year to be thinking about how polarized training can help you. In our new guide featuring Dr. Steven Seiler, explore fascinating and helpful topics like how polarized training is different from sweet spot, how to bust out of performance plateaus, how to polarize all season, how to build durability, and how to time your high intensity work. With the complete guide from Fast Talk Labs, you'll have everything you need to polarize your training like a pro and unlock your elite. Learn more at FastTalkLabs.com. So I got a bit of a surprise for the two of you because, as you know, we collect these workouts. Whenever we have a, a guest come in, we ask them their favorite workout. And sitting in a folder collecting a lot of dust are recordings with the two of you before either of you became hosts here. So I thought it'd be fun to include these. And certainly we see both of you getting into the, let's do that short high intensity, but also throw in a kind of steady threshold type effort afterwards. So Rob, you literally do that. So let's hear your workout now. One of my favorite workouts, you know, is, is sort of combining some hard anaerobic efforts with some sub-threshold suffering. I just love that. I think that it's, it's so important for your ability when you're out there racing. You're oftentimes in situations that cause you to go much deeper than you want to. Uh, and then you got to sit in and you got to hold on and you can't, you can't give in. So for me, this would be like, say, three sets of 8 to 10 30-30 effort levels. 30-30s are, you know, I like to do them closer to 120% of threshold followed by, you know, relatively easy recovery in between. Uh, and then be how long in between? Uh, 30 seconds. seconds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 30 seconds at 120, 30 seconds at, you know, a relatively low workload, I don't know, 150 watts or something. And then immediately after that last 30 second effort uh, to go into say 10 minutes of sub threshold of like 95% threshold, and just sort of sit there and, and enjoy the pain, right? And to, to get used to that suffering and to say, hey, this is actually a recovery effort. I know that the alarm bells in my head are going off, but I need to settle in and, and I need to get used to that. You know, that, that would be one set. I'd, I'd take, you know, five minutes maybe and then do a second set and then do a third set. But for me, workouts uh, ultimately are pretty simple. I think that a lot of people, you know, maybe in the effort to sound smart and knowledgeable, create like these crazy extensive workouts that just oh my god like here's the thing we're we're looking to train energy systems yes right you know and and i don't care if it's 30 seconds or 29 seconds or 31 seconds whatever man that's all the same 
But to go out there and, and be like, okay, four and a half minutes at 98%, followed by five minutes and two seconds at 99.5%. Come on, man, keep it simple. Keep athletes, you know, able to, to think, you know, while we're out there uh, suffering. But yeah, Trevor, that, that's it for me. Um, good, deep, hard efforts uh, followed by a nice slow burn. Right. And so what energy systems do you feel this is really working? Huh. You know, on the 30-30 side of things, it, it's actually up for debate, right? In terms of, you know, you have... Uh, somebody like uh, Andy Coggin, who would say that that's more of a threshold sort of effort, right? If we if we look at um, oxygen utilization and average heart rate throughout that, we're we're not going super deep like we would um, in a more VO two type workout, like five minutes at a hundred plus percent of your threshold. You know, for me, I do think that there's definitely uh, anaerobic contribution in there. I think that there's repeatability and there's durability uh, going on, especially when you're doing these at a relatively high workload, like 120%. That's not necessarily easy for 30-30 sets. But then ultimately for me, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to pump a whole bunch of lactate into the system. And then I'm trying to clear that lactate with that subthreshold, right? right? Right around that point in time, we ought to be clearing lactate as fast as humanly possible. And I love to overload the system to give it a real big challenge and then to see if it can clear that lactate out, use it for fuel, uh, but take it out of my bloodstream and, uh, and and help me get down the road. That's a really good point because it's been shown that the, the point where we clear lactate the best is that about 95% of the threshold. Exactly. When would you do this and how often? Yeah, for me, I'm a big block periodization kind of guy. I would do a workout like this um, maybe twice a week in an intensity block, and then I probably wouldn't touch it again until that intensity week comes around. I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for other athletes. For me, I typically work off a three-week cycle, intensity week one, lower my glycogen stores, and I uh, get that hard workout when I'm fresh in a volume week, uh, week two. You know, it's very difficult to continue the intensity uh, when those glycogen stores are low. When we see, you know, the the decrease in this excessive exercise, um, you know, so I like to go base there and, and keep it in, you know, zone one in a three zone system or, you know, really for me, it's about one and a half millimoles or below lactate. And then a third week for me is uh, typically recovery um, before repeating. And, and I would say I do that training the majority of the year. I believe it builds terrific general fitness. Once I get into a race season, you know, then I'll switch to a more traditional uh, periodization scheme because I believe that that is sort of the icing on the cake, to tell you the truth. Then you can work on specific strengths that you need for whatever event it is that you're training for. But for me, you know, doing it in a block situation is just amazing general fitness that I can then mold however I need to later. So I do have to say, I think that my workout aged like a fine wine <laughs> because if anybody pays attention to fasttalklabs.com and our workout of the week, if you don't, you should. This was my workout of the week recently. And Trevor, I, I can't believe that you pulled this one out of the dusty podcast closet and they're both lining up. So, and I had no idea that was your workout. Yeah, of the week. I guess in, in the past five years, I haven't changed. Have a single new thought. I haven't <laughs> evolved. I know. You get, it, you get it right the first time, you don't have to go back and do it again. You know, for a guy that's dressed like an influencer, you don't change with the times that much. Yeah. I'm kidding. I love that workout. And I, I really, really love that at on off into sustained. And I think one of the things you're watching as we, as we cycle through some of these workouts too, and this may get different with mine. I'm not sure what Trevor picked, but 
we've watched this change from super high intensity to the Ronisette version, which is like seven minutes of pretty darn high intensity to Keel and Alex doing workouts more along the lines of threshold or threshold simulation. And that's certainly true of what you've got too. So there's a lot of different ways to use intensity to play with lots of different energy systems. I'm not going to get on you for being an influencer. I'm stuck in the seventies. <laughs> there were, there were influencers in the seventies. Leisure suits will come back, Trevor. You just I need still to prep. have my leisure. Get suit. ready for your day, man. It's coming eventually. All right, Grant, you have anything to say about yours? No, let's just hear what I have to say. And then uh, maybe I'll try to defend myself on the backside. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you two, because one is my favorite workout, what okay. I like to do the best. And one of them is my favorite workout to give to athletes. My favorite workout to do is minute on, minute off. Okay. That is a Neil Henderson special. I will give him full credit for me learning that, but... 15, 16 of them, three sets of five, or just do it straight through. There is nothing I feel like that gets me ready to race, particularly cross, like minute on, minute off. Puts me in the box. It trains the system that I love to be in. You know, part of it is just I like that I like that workout. I like being there. But I really feel like it gets me primed and ready to go. And I and I I like using it with athletes too. I think that's a place that we don't go that often in training. And it works really well at altitude because you're not on for that long. Yeah, that's that's my favorite for me. My favorite for athletes is kind of a modification of 4020s. And okay. 4020s is something that everybody loves to do. But I've taken it and tried to like please everybody with this one. So it's it's eight by fifty tens into a tempo. So we're going to go eight by 50, 10. This is for my athletes and a lot of them are pretty high end. So, you know, modify so wait, the numbers. It's 50 seconds on, 50 10 on, seconds off. 10 seconds off. So you just slightly above threshold for that 50 on and then your 10 seconds is off, but you're doing eight of those. And then you're rolling into four minutes, five minutes, just at solid sweet spot or tempo and wham, 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 on, off, on, off, on, off, keep it together. And then take a little break, and then we go to the 4020s, 8 by 4020s, 40 on, 20 seconds off, slightly different feel, slightly harder on the 40s than you were going on the 50s, and then again, right into that tempo hold to, like, you got to calm yourself down and hold this, because that first minute of that tempo feels awful, right? You're trying to just, you're doing deals with the devil during that first minute, and then you start to get comfortable. I can, oh, I can do this. And then the last piece is, Eight by 30 on, 30 off. Again, ramping that up, changing the metric a little bit, changing the power release a little bit, and then right back into that same tempo piece that holds. I like that. It's a really nice race simulation. I have another workout that I love as a race sim that's called the kitchen sink that, you know, is extraordinarily complicated. You got, you got we to, have actually had it on here. Neil used that as one of his favorite workouts. And it is truly everything. It is a little bit of everything. And that's one of my all-time favorites that, you know, we, we came up with specifically for getting a breakaway or do a cross race, but it's super complicated. It's yes. like, you got to write it on the top tube. And so I don't, I don't go to that well very often. <laughs> so I love 50 on 10 off 40, 20s, 30, 30s. I just, it's such a good prime. So I was fully expecting something brutal for your athletes, which you gave. I was waiting for like when you got to your favorite workout, you're like uh, bike three blocks down to the brewery. 
<laughs> no, I really like to work. And if you really want to know how crazy I am, I would rather do that workout on the trainer than outside. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. I agree. Trainers are great for that. I love the trainer for minute on, minute off. Rob does his base training rides on the trainer in erg mode. There's something wrong with that. I mean, <laughs> I'm crazy. I spent my recovery ride on the trainer yesterday doing athlete calls, checking my email. I love that. That's like my favorite thing in the world. It was 75 and beautiful in Boulder yesterday, and I was on the trainer. But base rides on an erg mode inside. Do you stare at a wall too? No, I do this so that I can watch Netflix or YouTube without <laughs> paying attention to how hard I'm going. I just let it control me. And it, and it oscillates. It's, it's kind of three minutes at 72%, and then it's like God. two minutes back at 68% and, and whatever else. I do it so that I can be mindless when I am on the trainer and pay attention to other things because I hate being in Zwift and having to shift when you get to like a hill. I hate that. The whole reason people like Swift is, is why the reason I hate it. it. Yes. I had, I had open water swimmers one time that I was using cycling to help just get some extra aerobic fitness for them. I wanted to keep them out of the water. And the problem with swimmers when they get on a bike is they go too hard. It's a great story about Mara Abbott years ago when she started racing that I think it was Jim Miller that said, oh man, swimmers make great cyclists. You just have to teach them to go easy. Yep. What I would used to do is I would put them in the training studio and I had a workout named babysitting the swimmers. And it was that it would kept them right at 65%. They couldn't go above. They couldn't go below and they would get so mad. They'd come back from that workout. So frustrated. Mine is called baser vols. Baser vols. Yeah, like base plus intervals. No, I got it. Okay, I got good. it. Well, it just okay. wasn't good. So can we try to rescue this dumpster fire of a workout <laughs> description? So we might have completely forgotten the two workouts you described, but if you can remember them, why would you use both of these? So the 5010s or the 4020s, I think we get really in this mindset of traditional block threshold intervals, right? Eight minutes at this threshold interval. It is very, very rare that you are actually racing doing that. Even when you're time trialing, unless it's a dead pancake flat TT, you're not doing that. You're, you're oscillating between slightly above, slightly below. I think it's a great way to get the response of threshold type power in a way that is much more race specific and race preparing. So yes, I'll do those long steady intervals early in the season, but as we start to come to racing, you're going to see that change that above and below. And then minute on minute off, like I said, when I was describing them, we just don't go there very often. That's just asking people who, especially endurance athletes, who tend to really like that steady state to go the entire opposite of steady state and really go way above and then have to learn to recover below. And, you know, there's a reason I like them and I'm a cyclocross racer. That's cross. And it really gives you that great opportunity to work true VO2. How do I raise my five-minute power? You got to do one minute power. You can't go do five minute power all the time. Break it down into a smaller piece that you can really attack. And so that's why I really like them. And are these intervals you would use during the season? When would you use them? I use them year round. Everybody knows that's listened to me that I like intensity year round. I use them for different reasons and different points in the season. I'll use those minute on, minute off early in the season because people are a little fresher and I want to see what numbers they can throw out there on those. I'm using them later in the season for race prep. 
like let's get that vo2 max system really racked up let's get ready to go and let's go you know break some soles and rip some legs off same thing with the 50 tens i don't use those very often i think that's one that's a big one that's really hard so that is more when we're getting ready two weeks out three weeks out of a race that we know we want to target that we're going to go hit these it's a test we're going to see where we're at and we'll go from there fantastic one thing Rob pointed out, he made a comment of using kitchen sink during race season and, I, and clarifying, I think I would use, I use that more as a race season prep just to kind of get people used to what it feels like to race, right? You're on, you're off, you're this, you're that. And then to, to get kicked in the teeth. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't use teeth, but yeah, to get kicked somewhere, but minute on minute offs, I really, really like that. And this comes back to what we were talking about earlier with a five on five off breaking that into smaller pieces getting a similar strain on the body, but probably less total strain and mentally being able to really hit a mark for a minute. Dude, that's brutal. What minute on minute off. But the concept of it, think about this five by five is 25 minutes under load. I could do 16 minute on minute offs and I'm doing less total load, but creating an environment that is, as you said, really strenuous and very, very difficult mentally. And that's kind of what I'm looking for in that that place. I'm glad you don't coach me. <laughs> I'd love to coach you. <laughs> yeah, All you right. <laughs> so let's move on. We've got a clip here from Lachlan Morton. Now this is getting into a little bit more less common in season type workouts. This is something to do to get that final little bit of form right before a key race, but it's something that not a lot of us actually even have the opportunity to do. So Lachlan doesn't describe it because there isn't really much to describe. This is just motor pacing. This is getting somebody on a motorcycle or a moped and you get behind them and they just go at a really uncomfortable pace and you just try to hold their wheel. But Lachlan talks a lot about why he does this and what he thinks the benefits are. So let's hear from him now. That's like a workout that if you're coming closer to a race and you're kind of trying to assimilate like your endurance and whatever intensity you've done into like a more specific road racing format. And for me, motor pacing is always a really good way to do it. I think like any, I call it, I call it like free training is when you're like, you're getting intensity, but it doesn't require you the same mental strength as as if you were to do it yourself. So that kind of combines the like, I guess more traditional, like, long climbing like threshold to sub threshold work with like a more race specific finish and but if you do it right i always feel like you finish that last hour feeling better than when you started it and yeah that's kind of why i like it when uh would you do this workout what time of year and how often uh probably 10 days to a week out from a, a big race when you're kind of confident enough of your condition that you know you can get through it and feel better having done it and it's also sort of more like a icing on the cake workout that makes sense good for the confidence it's like the perfect transition into that all right like you can be like training's done you know like into a a taper or a rest or whatever like with the the climbing stuff like the zone three sort of i try and do it like i'm not trying to like hold the number really constant like I'll kind of look at it, say I'm climbing for 20 minutes, I might look at it every two or three minutes and you sort of understand what the effort is. But if it's steep, like go harder and like do it organically, like like you would have in a race. 
I think you see a lot of people do efforts on a climb, you know, and they're trying to like pedal that one little downhill part. <laughs> you know, just yep. as hard as like because they're like, oh no, like I'm going to be below the number. But it's like, uh, in my opinion, I think like when you know those things, just kind of push harder when it's steeper and take the recovery because that's how it's going to be in the race. Ultimately, if you're just sort of achieving somewhere in the ballpark, that's what you're after. So I think with Lachlan and a theme that we've talked about throughout this episode is trying to simulate what's happening in the race in terms of the demands on your body and the mental demands and Lachlan and motor pacing. It's about as specific as you can get in terms of a workout, right? Holding on to that wheel literally is the whole point of Lachlan's workout. But Alan Cousins does something similar with his triathletes and that's an Ironman simulation, except an Ironman is something that's really hard to simulate. So instead of doing it in miles, He's doing it with a little bit shorter and metric. Let's hear him describe that. The favorite workout that I, I have for my athletes is the, the Ironman simulation that we do. So uh, something that I think I stole from Matt Fitzgerald, but I'm, I stole it from someone anyway. But uh, the, the idea is basically you, you do the full Ironman, but you do it in metric terms. So it's a 2.4-kilometer swim. 112-kilometer bike and and 26-kilometer run. And we do that a a few times before the uh, the Ironman race as a a really good, solid indication, you know, as part of a a big training week of what the athlete's output is likely to be for the Ironman and get a lot of data from that. You know, we try and make it as specific in terms of the temperature that they're going to be facing and the conditions and the course and and all of that that good stuff and i think it's a it's a huge confidence builder for the athletes if they if they put together a good performance there then uh i think it, it really leads to some good confidence going into the race and of course you can repeat it if we don't do a good one you know so i think i think that's probably yeah certainly one of the most important workouts that, that we do with the ironman athletes when do you do this workout is it sometime before like eight nine ten weeks before their primary event or is there something you do all year round yeah, pretty much immediately before taper. So we'll try to leave enough space to fit two or three times through the workout, maybe even four times. So, uh, yeah, probably in that sort of three to ten week period before the race. And are they racing it? Are they trying to go as hard as they can go? Or is it a, do you give them an intensity to do this at? Yeah, generally we give them sort of execution goals. So I'll give them, you know, heart rate, an idea of sort of a heart rate range to stay in, some power caps for the climbs. If there's climbs, uh, you know, if if it's a situation where they're likely going to be experiencing quite a lot of pace changes on on the race, you know, if it's a flat course where they're going to be doing a lot of overtaking, we'll throw that in as kind of a subset within the workout, those sorts of things. Tis the season for spring knee. As March sunshine and early spring weather inspires us to ramp up our riding mileage, our knees don't always keep up. If you've got knee pain, we have the solution for you. Fast Talk Lab members can follow our new knee health pathway, featuring our new director of sports medicine, Dr. Andy Pruitt. See the introduction to the knee health pathway at fasttalklabs.com. Well, Trevor, I think that that was a pretty awesome list of workouts that we have. 
something I want to point out is that we heard from a lot of high level athletes, a lot of high level coaches and grant. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's obvious that there's multiple ways to skin the cat, so to say. And I think that everybody is there putting workouts together. Really just think about who you are, what your needs are, what your event is. How do you perform the best and then pick and choose what's going to be the most appropriate for you? And I think something that's worth pointing out, uh, I think it was just a couple episodes ago, we did an episode with Dr. Seiler talking about how to make intervals effective. Mm -hmm. And we really talked about the fact that now that we're understanding better the pathway through which adaptations occur, that really all these high intensity intervals are hitting that pathway. So it's not as specific as we thought. I think there's mental components like the do something really hard and then go steady. I think that's as much training and just to deal with the discomfort as training any sort of physiological system. But, but I do want to call back to the episode to say they're all kind of doing fairly much the same thing. So pick what works for you. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point. You said something about, I trained my strengths grant and there's something to be said for that. Yeah. We want to hit our weaknesses, but if one of these workouts really speaks to you, you get excited about it. You're going to really hit it hard and you're going to do something special. Pick that one when you're getting ready for race season, because you'll do better with it. Well, and I will say for me, training my weaknesses keeps me in the game, but my strengths keep me on the podium. There you go. And, and if I only train my weaknesses, I'll just be in the game better. <laughs> if it's a muddy cyclocross race, yes, I will crush you. Oh, beyond that, I have no hope. All right. I, Next I time would, it rains, I, I hope you all tune in to me and Rob. I wish we were the same age so we could race together. Yeah, that's true. I'll race down. Okay. I'll race up. <laughs> and still lose yes yes i will just ask grant when he saw me after my race on sunday god you look good gouda trevor gouda kana uh, that's been another episode of fast talk subscribe to fast talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast i guess i'm doing it the thoughts and opinions expressed are those of the individual you forgot be sure to leave us a rating and a review as always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com or tweet us. I don't tweet. What My goida. Fast Talk Labs. Head to fasttalklabs.com to get access to our endurance sports knowledge base. We have ways to make you say the word chowda. <laughs> it's chowda, Frenchie. <laughs> say chowda. Coach continuing education as well Meow. as our in-person and remote athlete services. Meow. For Grant Holicky, who's back on his phone. Chowda. Rob Pickles, I'm Trevor Connor. Thanks for actually making it this far. <laughs> <laughs>